When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Double Trouble podcast, season two, episode two, with me, James Phelps. And I'm Oliver Phelps. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So thank you very much for joining us. We've had such a great response from last episode uh we had a great fun doing it thank you very much again to Johanna Cons for joining us i know that we had such a good time with you and i really hope that your podcast goes on to do great stuff too exactly yes as james said a huge thanks to Johanna for last week but also a huge thank you for everyone who started to hit that subscribe button on youtube on the different podcast platforms what we are on i'm very glad to say it may have taken a time because we're all new to this this new technology well, I am anyway of uploading stuff like this. <laughs> so it's now, um, as I say, now we are now on the main podcast places where you get your podcast. I'd say for 99% of people out there, including iTunes, which took same two hours to upload, but it got there originally. Originally? Eventually. Well, you know, eventually, it's got there because we are <laughs> the original Double Trouble. Don't be confused with other people who call themselves Double Trouble. We're the original ones. What, there's a new, there's a new double, uh, someone trying to be a double trouble, double trouble. Yeah, something like that. That's why if you search double trouble, Owen JP or Owen J Phelps, you'll come across us. Because as I say, I can't believe of all the names out there, people are trying to use that one. Well, what do you know? How much trouble do they really cause? Uh, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're causing fun trouble, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, Harmless. on to Harmless. today. Yeah. <laughs> So today we have a very, very great guest for everybody to He's a very, very good friend of ours. His name, Hayley Joel Osmond. Yes, that's right. So Hayley, you will know from Beta Films from many years ago, from his, we'll learn about and speaking to him today about his first big acting gig, which was a total revelation for me. I didn't realise it started there. But from his first feature film, which was Forrest Gump, up to modern day stuff and everything in between. His modern day stuff, if you've seen The Boys, he plays one of the really cool characters in there. Won't be a spoiler for him, but really antagonistic guy. To Silicon Valley, to Entourage, to his voiceover work. A really, really cool guy who we've had a great time talking to. Yeah, so we actually met Haley going on 10 years ago. This is a very bizarre story so bear with us we were actually invited by Rupert Grint 10 years ago to go and play in a golf tournament with him in Switzerland as you do we get there and the golf event is put on by Samuel Jackson as they all are aren't they and we ended up being very good friends and meeting Haley while we were there and we've stayed in contact ever since 
Since then, we've gone on to hang out anytime we've been in the same countries together. And last year, we actually had quite an epic trip in California to go and play some bucket list golf courses with Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill, Monterey Bay and the Olympic Club uh, down there in California. So he's a very good friend of ours. So we're going to try and make sure that uh, the conversation hasn't been too loosely chummy, if that makes sense. We've tried to so I actually asked Hayley things which I've never asked him before about career, method in acting and all that kind of stuff as well, which is very eye-opening and very nice to hear someone else's take on things. Yes, exactly. And also as well, I just wanted to um, give you the heads up that there is a slight edit going on throughout this episode. We did a couple of seconds in the last one, but this one is edited a little bit because we were talking for literally two hours. So we wanted to chop it down to a nice bite-sized chunk for everybody. And as you can imagine, three friends chatting away, there may be the odd word what needed to get bleeped. So have, have a look out for that one as well. That's always good fun. But I just wanted to, while we're talking, before we get started here, I just want to say a huge shout out once again to everyone who's been listening and getting back on board. And I've been looking at some analytics, James. Would you like to know what analytics we've been looking at? I can't even pronounce it. So you're going to have to. Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. You tell me. Right, okay. So um, in terms of like where people are coming from, um, which is always a very interesting thing because I think that's always a good way to see who your audience is and, uh, and whereabouts in the world they're, they're getting to this from. So on YouTube, there's 21% are coming from the USA. So hello, everyone out there in the USA. Then 12.6% are from the United Kingdom. Well done there. And then the next one, which was actually quite surprising to me, was Germany. So a big, big hello to everyone in Germany. Um, hopefully you saw my Lederhausen this week. That was not actually, I suppose you could use it if you're in Austria as well, but still, um, but more in Bavaria, because I always remember saying, yes, I'm in German dress, and someone from Northern Germany saying, no, that isn't. Rightly so. Glad you were corrected and learning some things during this. So, Oliver, I'm going to interview you for a quick second. What have you been up to this week during lockdown week? Is it four or five or whatever we are in the UK now? Yeah, it's a couple, isn't it? So I have been uh, doing something. You're back from your beach, I see. Back from the beach. The beach was, um, it was getting too crowded, you know, and social distancing. There was a, a, a chap who was trying to sell some ice cream and I said, mate, you've got to stay two metres away. So I'm, I'm back from the beach. I'm just in the, in the corner of the room here. I was going to go from a different view for people looking on YouTube, but it was just a bit too much to to work out so maybe next week I'll do that but no it's been going quite well I've ripped out another five bushes in the back garden which um is all very fun stuff I've realized that I'm quite a destructive person as I've got a chipper to uh, to good always stay safe people ask a grown-up if you need help um but yeah and then just trying to just go around go around that I had a lot of fun as I say uploading and doing the editing stuff with the podcast last week so that was good fun. So I'll do it this week. And then I think, James, you can do it next week because that will always be nice and uh, give me a day or two off from doing such things. And then, yeah, just as we talked about last week, um, getting into running again, keep running, trying to keep fit in one way or another because they say healthy body, healthy mind. So that's always a good thing to do. And then just making different foods again from making um what did i make the other day i made some marshmallows that was really nice lots and lots of sugar 700 grams of sugar going to uh, this batch of marshmallows which was and that's not including the icing sugar what goes on top so definitely a sweetie indulgence but no on the whole though it's been been really really enjoyable what about yourself 
Yeah, um, well, I haven't been making anything or anything like that, but I have got into my gardening again. Uh, so I bought myself a little greenhouse. So I've actually grown my own vegetables right now. What are you growing? Well, we don't know how long this quarantine is going to go on for, do we? So I'm growing carrots, I'm growing potatoes, spinach, beetroot, all that kind of fun stuff. So that should be interesting when that comes around. Um, but like you, I've been getting into my running again. Uh, how far have you run this week? In total? Yeah. It'll be five. Yeah, not many. It'll be like 18 kilometers. That's enough for me. I'm not in it for the sport. I'm in it for the, the exercise in the day. Okay. What have you done, James? Well, uh, funny you should ask that. So I do a 5K every morning just because. Um, but then on Sunday, it was a lovely day here. So I decided I was going to just go for a run. And when I woke up, I thought it should have been the London Marathon today. I've never done a half marathon. So I'm going to run a half marathon. So I ended up running a half marathon, which was um, enjoyable, actually. Fun? Was that fun? No, I'll tell you what, it was because... I know physically I can do it, but it's all in the mind. You need to stop that little voice saying, go on, just have a little, have a little rest, have a little rest. And uh, I got back and ate and ate and ate. I need new running shoes because I've realized that the shoes I have are rubbish. Um, but then today I was able just to get on with my DDPY, my yoga, um, and stretch out. So then there's no more pain in my legs now. So rather good. And then and apart from that, I was going to say productivity-wise, in terms of anything creatively, have you done anything like that at all? Productivity-wise, uh, so I've started learning Spanish. Um, Do you hablo español? No, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> Come on. You said this last week. You don't know. You've got to know the basics. I mean, I'm, any good, no, but I, I, I'm not a fast learner in languages, but I'm trying to learn. Um, so what, what, what phrases have you learned then this week? Uh, I'm, not go- I'm not prepared for this yet. Let me... Let me, I like to get some kind of wavelength going and then I can dive out. Anyway, without further, yes, without further ado, let's rock on to our guest today, Hayley. We had a great chat with him. Hope you guys enjoy. Oh, I need to say one more thing as well, actually, before we start. Um, so I've been trying to go through the YouTube thing and I just need to work out to all the people who have been uh, subscribing. And as we said, we ran a little competition. Um, we have picked you out. Uh, but we need to work out. So I've got in touch with YouTube to say, can you get me in touch with this person? Because they won a competition of this fantastic controller, the Nacon Revolution Pro Controller 3. That is coming to you very, very soon. We will tell you exactly who and when next week when I found out from YouTube exactly how to get in contact with you. Because I don't want to do that thing where, you know, I don't want to do that thing where you can say to somebody like, oh yeah, such and such is one. Contact me on Twitter. And then about 50 people get in touch with me and then the whole thing's ruined. So we'll try and find out the proper way how to do it. And um, yeah, that's it. And may, maybe, uh, are, you, are you still going, I'm just looking at you, James, with your, your appearance right now. I saw a great name what someone called you this week, uh, which I assume is a compliment. They called you Jamesus because they've been saying that your, uh, your beard and your hair, are you going for a part as Jesus Christ at any point soon? Or are you just trying to grow it out? I'm in lockdown look right now. I've no need to cut my hair or have a uh, proper shave, so I'm enjoying this very much. Anyway, enough about me, enough about you. Episode today is about Hayley, so let's crack on. Right, so Hayley, thanks so much for joining us today. In uh, how's, your, how's your lockdown going, first of all? 
It's going uh, pretty well under the circumstances. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's nice to talk to you guys. It's uh, it's nice not just talking to myself throughout the day and night, which is what is happening a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay, not anyone. yeah, I was going to say you do that a bit, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling like I need to try and start growing some facial hair though on this call. It's the perfect opportunity. I'm I'm now. Uh, it's too bad I I couldn't have it ready for the show today. But I, because it's probably going to be in 2021 until anything is filming again, everybody seems to feel like, I was going to ask permission to, uh, from the show that I was on to shave my head, because when is there a better opportunity? <laughs> Nobody's going to be shooting or filming anything, and uh, it gets really hot in uh, Los Angeles in the summer. So I'm thinking I'll keep the beard, grow that as long as I can, and just try the shaved head for some time. <laughs> Go for it. That's what, well, I was, uh, I'm very jealous of your beard anyway. It's nice and thick and strong. I've, I've got kind of like a, a, a new, this is the first time I've ever properly grown any kind of facial hair, really. Um, right. But the other day when, so I did a run on when Sunday, and uh, at one point like, you climb up this big hill and then you've got really nice views over loads of like, loads of land there's a bit of water there and everything anyway i then started trying to take a selfie of it but as I, when i was running i had my hair in like a half ponytail like beckham used to have back in the day and then when i looked at it back when i got home i realized i looked like obi-wan kenobi in episode two <laughs> <laughs> when he's or maybe episode three when he's, he's obviously being put through the ringer by uh, teaching darth vader as he would become so i uh, that that will not see the light today. That photo. I feel like my hair is long enough for that, but I just can't. And I I don't know why, but I do have like a hair tie around. I was like, I just can't quite get it to to stay yet. I know it's just the bit on top. It's just like the front bit. <laughs> Keep it out your eye. I am close to you know carrying a staff and dressing in robes. Like who knows where we'll all be by the end of this. <laughs> to be, I mean, to be, to be honest, I was walking around the supermarket today with with a mask on with um and it was raining so i had like a uh, a raincoat on as well with like my gloves and everything like that and a hack so it was quite chilly and i've never felt more like shredder from the turtles <laughs> before but no one comes near you it's brilliant <laughs> and, then, and i suppose there's always and i might i might even start doing it because like you know in undoubtedly whenever you go to a store something will irritate you or someone will do something that's a bit irritating you can mouth whatever it is you're thinking and they can't see it. As long as you remember to keep the mask on, you, you're doing all right. But yeah, I might, I might try and stem that out a bit further on in the year. <laughs> I know there's sometimes where it's like it's kind of great to be in, in disguise. You know, you, it's. I mean, as you can see, like you don't have to get, have your hair combed or to be be dressed up nice in a lot of places. In in this hot weather, I'm just in flip flops with rubber gloves and the mask and everything. But you know. They can't tell it's you, so who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's trying to dress up for anybody. My thing in the grocery store, because there's been a big variety in different chains around here about how good the regulations are, and some you don't realize until you're inside where you're going, oh, wait, there's no rules. Like, this is a this is people without masks, like, looking over your shoulder and everything, and you got to get out of there. But my the thing that I would mouth under my breath, but I was just saying out loud, if a mask was six feet, six feet. <laughs> <laughs> They were, seem to be forgetting. <laughs> Unless they were taking the mayor of Las Vegas's stance and it was just like, hey, it's the store owner's job to uh, sort that out. Yeah, that was pretty wild. I, 
I was confused that she said she didn't gamble because I think that the mayor of, of Las Vegas should be a problem gambler. Like, it only makes sense if that person's at the horse track every day of the week. And I love how she was like, uh, Anderson Cooper was like, uh, you know, well, how do you know what regulations they're going to do? And she's like, that's for the casinos to decide. I don't own a casino. I wish I owned a casino, but I don't own a casino. <laughs> I bet you do. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think that, that places like that will discover there's always going to be a small group of people that don't care and will rush back as soon as the regulations are lifted. But even if they did open the doors to Caesar's Palace, I think a lot of people would still be like, I, I don't feel good with this yet. Like a vast windowless space where you're touching everything and with smoke everywhere. It just doesn't feel like the best place to go when we're still in the middle of this. Yeah, I think that's going to be the weird thing where, like, when this eventually all settles down or we settle into some sort of normality with it is what is normal afterwards because i suppose some place will have to redesign buildings or even just culture over yeah they're talking uh, this summer in new york of just having streets be permanently shut down so they can move all of the tables outdoors into the middle of the street so you have pedestrians walk on the sidewalk and then like seating areas are out normally where the cars would be and that's like sort of a a midway point between the way it used to be and the way it is right now. You, got, you, you lived in New York for a bit, didn't you? I did, yeah. I just moved away from there uh, last summer. Um, and I was there for 15 years. So it's, it's bizarre to have... I was sad to leave. Uh, most of work has been in Los Angeles. So it was mostly a decision for that. Like, I, I, I didn't truly want to leave the city. And it's been bizarre to go away. And then instead of missing a place that I remember it's become a different thing entirely and I've been lucky because you know friends and, and family that I have out there are, are safe and uh doing pretty well but to see that happen to a place that you just left is just really really dark and bizarre yeah 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 no it's a shame that'd be uh so it's only it's only one of my favorite places to go anyway so it'd be good to yeah. when it is especially having friends there as well yeah the, the 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 closeness of things like I I would enjoy going out you know, to, to places by myself, going to the movies by yourself or going to some restaurant by yourself. And you still felt like you were always part of some community somewhere. There's usually these nice assemblages of, you know, random collections of people and everything. And that kind of mingling is gone for the foreseeable future. It's just not safe to have that, you know, those sort of spaces. And those were some, you know, some of the things that were the best part about living in New York. So it's definitely, definitely weird. When uh, we Oliver and I were there last year, we went to we were out for dinner with friends, and then I was walking back to the hotel. And I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow." As I was walking back to the hotel, I went past this jazz bar, and I literally just put my foot on the wall to tie my shoelace. Looked up, and there's this jazz bar with about twenty guys in there listening to jazz. All like, like some of them like proper hunched over because that's how they've held the guitar for. However, all they are ninety, hundred years old. So I thought, yeah, I'll go in there for a couple of hours, listen to that. And I think it's one of the only cities in the world where that can happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, let's, that's, hope that, let's hope that gets back on the, uh, the safely zone soon. Yeah. And with that, it's like you're pretty much, if you do stop into any of those places, you're guaranteed to see something amazing. Like there's going to be some great musician playing. It's just, yeah. When we met how many years ago now, would you say? It was on a golf trip, wasn't it? To it was, Switzerland. Yeah, I guess that was September 2010 in Bad Right, yeah, so a long time yeah. ago now, yeah. yeah. Bad Regaz, which was actually a very good, very good Regaz. 
It was so good. Yeah, <laughs> everything about that was so good. God, and yeah, that, that amazing valley we were in with these huge peaks and that resort with the, it felt like there was like a dozen different like hot spring pools of different salinity and different heat and everything. That was, that was a wild place to go. Yeah, yeah, I just wish like I was better at golf then. Like I'm playing a little bit more now, and obviously we've had some pretty epic uh, golfing experiences uh, more recently. But those courses we played in Europe, I was like, man, I wish I had been practicing a little <laughs> more than because I went and played with Sam the first day, and I just got eaten alive by that course. <laughs> yeah, well, it was one of those places which was a um, was it like a six star or seven like a above above five star resort. Um, and I remember because we went originally we went as Rupert um, Rupert Grint's guests, so we didn't actually know the full shtick what we were getting involved with. All we were told, all Rupert said to us was, "Do you want to come on Sam Jackson's golf day?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we will. Um, so we we jump on a plane and get there, and then we realise that we check into this hotel where the I remember the the check-in clerk was saying, "Yeah, make sure you hold I think it was either a remote or this card or something with you when you're in the room." And this bang and awesome TV followed you around the, like, it didn't actually, like a robot follow you around the room. It like twisted around the room to, so you could see it from wherever you were in the room. It was just in crazy amount of detail that went into it. I think, I don't know if it was the hotel in Zurich, but there was one where like the spa had a little like ice chamber that was done yes. up like cave in antarctica or something twinkling lights and all that stuff and i was like oh and it, and it had, I this is good for the spa experience but like it's very impressive and it had its own train station into town yes <laughs> this is switzerland so yeah. no i don't think there were any door handles anywhere you just kind of waved your hand and like things would open or they wouldn't and I think, like, the manager, something we were walking upstairs for the first time, said very proudly, like, we will never recoup our investment. Like, we spent <laughs> $2 billion and we'll never get it back. So, it does look like you spent $2 billion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like, a, there's like a Bugatti on the lawn just for decoration purposes. Exactly, yeah. They're just order, like the party Bugatti, like you have for children's birthday. <laughs> just park it so that we have something nice to look at. Oh, my yeah. No, as you said, that we've had some good, um, some good times playing golf all over, really. So we've been, I think the re- the most recent one we did was last year when we went to out to Pebble Beach, yeah, and playing on the courses there. And we were trying to explain, um, well, James and I were trying to talk about it before we before we started today, but actually how we worked that whole thing in. So we picked Hay from uh, the airport, drove literally straight to Monterey to get some food. Found the only restaurant open, which was. Uh, how can you describe it? Like a, it's crab shack basically. Like yeah, the yeah. end of the pier. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's the only thing open on the end of the pier. But we got in. Have you got any? Excuse me. Do you have any chowder? Yeah. If you want to get served in five minutes, and then it comes in literally a loaf. It's brilliant. Not one of those little ones at Disneyland too. It's like you know yeah, the size of your head. Yeah. <laughs> but that became, but like that. That became the running joke throughout the whole trip. So even on the last night when Steve, the other guy who we were with, booked into a, a super nice restaurant overlooking Carmel and and we sat down, the first thing we said to the waitress was, yeah, can we get clam chowder in a in a bread bowl? And she was like, no, it comes in the bowl. And then I think we ended up cutting out the little little bread rolls they have and filling it off the, to, off the uh, soup. Which oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. I don't they know the etiquette of the course. But... Yeah. 
I asked at the halfway house at every course. I was like, you guys, you do the bread bowls? Like, is that something golfers put on their, on their wheeled bags? <laughs> you know, yeah. Washing around, having soup. But, I know uh, Tiger is known to eat an entire bread bowl of, uh, of a clam chowder. <laughs> yeah, well, I can remember when we played at the, um, at the Olympic Club up in San Francisco. So after we, after we played it there, um, to explain to people, we, we drove to San Francisco and we were very nicely invited to, the, uh, to play at the Olympic course, which is brilliant. But I remember we stopped at the halfway house for the best part of an hour, probably. <laughs> Just like... Well, because they had those uh, hot dog burgers. The, the, yes. the very unusual. The whole trip was a theme of placing unusual foods into other <laughs> unusual vessels. And, and everybody all on, like the person in the pro shop, the person at the driving range is like, you got to try the hot dog burger. All right, I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. Yeah. <laughs> Sit there for about an hour. Man, that was, that was the most incredible four days of golf. And like, and I had just seen the U.S. Open at um, Pebble in June. Uh, to, we went in August, I think. I'd just seen it right before. So to walk it and see the pros play it and then to actually go there ourselves was just phenomenal. Although very humbling because the caddies were like, yeah, you, you see this, this section of fairway right here? When the pros play, that, that border is about 50 <laughs> yards that way. Like, you're telling me I wouldn't have been in the fairway had we been playing during the U.S. Open? So we played, what was it, Spyglass Hill, Pebble Beach, Monterey, in three days down in the Peninsula to Olympic. But I actually have the, oh, the trophy. The trophy. The trophy. Someday, someday. With the Camel Classic, because the guy that we asked to, I asked to, do this was a uh, dyslexic by all accounts so it's the camel classic what should it have said and the carmel camelback ranch arizona yeah, this this trophy it must weigh about 10 pounds easily and um for everyone else watching i this was like a second prize in a tournament i was in years ago and it was watching it it's not even straight like it's leaning. How would you describe it to those who aren't watching, James? Uh, it's a tall glass, cut glass trophy, which could easily be a Cluedo weapon. <laughs> I'd like that. Um, but anyway, I took this away and my wife literally told me, take it away and then hopefully you'll get rid of it. However, I played the best golf of my life. So <laughs> came back with the Camel Trophy. He couldn't help but win. <laughs> Good <help> it. <laughs> no, it was it was really really cool, especially playing. Um, I think everything worked well with it. You know, the the house we had was really cool to stay in, yeah. but then just like being able to do some other stuff, play some awesome golf courses with the wildlife there. That, we didn't play with the wildlife. <laughs> well, I was at one point when I was in the trees. I was playing race. I was virtually racing to the ball against a deer or something like that. Um, <laughs> but then even then even going to um, Monterey, where I've never been somewhere where they've been almost that angry to take money off you. It's like, thank, thanks, thanks for letting us on your course. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah. But please, please, can we have a turkey sandwich? Fine. <laughs> that was what a they, Was that where on the driving range there was literally deer right in front of the tee box? Oh, yeah. And they kind of looked at you as if to say, go on, I dare you. 
I think like uh, Spyglass really uh, ate me up the first day, but I, I didn't feel too bad about it because the first six holes coming down towards the water, but, but before you get your rhythm of how many photos am I going to take and how much am I going to focus on the actual shot that I need to do, just 360 degrees of incredible. I, I was almost mostly uh, impressed most by that course just of how they, the transition from the seaside stuff to when it cut back inland was just so, so beautiful and, and very, very challenging. Challenging without making it feel like it was impossible. Like it wasn't the course beating up on you. It was your fault for not making a smart decision. <laughs> especially, especially when in the States, because um, we played a team event, didn't we? And we, um, Steve and I pushed it on the one hole to, uh, to draw it level, which was, stuff like that was really good. And I, think, I, think, I think it broke James's spirit. <laughs> Who who holed out on eighteen at Monterey from the sand? Oh, that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah the most impossible par. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just a vertical shot on this this front sloping green. That was that was wild. The only <laughs> hole we played well on that whole course. Like when they so they did a was it Nassau push? It's called. So even if you're losing, you can basically double or nothing on the last hole or whatever you want to push it. Last hole, they said they're going to try it. And Oliver especially didn't have the greatest round that day. You and mm-hmm. Haley and I, we look at each other like, yeah, okay, I'm up for this. Yeah. <laughs> Damn oh, it. I'm still bitter. <laughs> and then going to play in San Francisco when it was still foggy. Mm. And there was literally a par three where you can't see where you're hitting to because it's just fog. But that was, uh, that was awesome. That was really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, the kind of appear like through the trees and you wouldn't know like how far away like the the coast would be and then all of a sudden you're like oh damn that's downtown san francisco such a cool cool environment to play in and that was my by far uh my best day i hope it just wasn't because we got to be in a cart it's like that can't that can't be <laughs> i think it, i think it may be but the I american golfer in you came out it, it did yeah <laughs> but the good thing is i actually dug out earlier before we spoke because i thought this may come up anyway I actually dug out the uh, the scores for the final day. Oh! Uh, now we were we were scoring Stableford points, um, so we got you won with forty points. I came second with thirty eight points, and James. Well, we just we'll just say he wasn't really on form that day. Do you have the three days previous to that? <laughs> You're only as good as your last match, though, James. So. <laughs> True. I'm just going to say that was my last round for. For a year and a half. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that time, those times like this, hopefully we'll be able to do that again. Oh, um, yeah. Because times like that are really cool to be able to look. Even now, I like, just reminisce on those stuff. I totally forgot about it. Absolutely. Um, no, no, it was, it was wicked. I mean, a bit of a bit of a trip from us to get there. Um, but it was still it was still well worth the uh, the journey, though, to get up that way. But now, anyway, let's get back on, on point, I suppose, because I don't know. I don't know if everyone wants to hear about our golfing exploits, James, do you think? Well, I won. Hold by hold, just to make sure. You talk about it. But yeah, so I thought. Um, thought anyway, we'd start from um, in terms of like obviously acting and everything like that. What was it? How how would you? What was it like for you? Because for us, we were fourteen when we first started out in like a bigger, bigger space, as it were. How old were you when you first got going into like professional acting? My first uh, uh, thing ever was this uh, Pizza Hut commercial when I was four uh, in LA. I had <clears throat> been walking through this uh, uh, furniture, well, Ikea with my, uh, 
Ikea is worldwide. Everyone knows Ikea. Uh, I've been walking. I try and sell it for more than it is. It's foreign furniture store. They, uh, I was walking through there. My mom was doing some shopping and this, they had this casting table, basically something that thinking back on it now is like, it's bizarre that they allowed this to happen, but there were these two casting assistants with Polaroid cameras asking to take photographs of kids that were coming in the store. They, they were two nice young women, not one creepy guy or something like that, but they were just taking Polaroids. So they asked to take a Polaroid because they're casting something. My photo got taken got picked off a pile and they called our number and I went into this cattle call audition with like dozens and dozens of kids and got one line in this Pizza Hut commercial um, in 1992. And then uh, right when it aired shortly after that, the casting director for Forrest Gump saw my little snippet on there and got in contact and called me into audition for that film. And then that was like my first real uh, project right there doing, wow. doing four. And then it's been, been, uh, yeah, been a pretty wild ride since then. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the, I think doing it then it's, it's definitely impossible to have a completely, uh, you know, you don't have the, the entire conception of what the industry is and, and what you're doing and everything. But, um, Growing up in it, I think, you know, the experience that you guys have had too, like you do have a really, you know, the longer you're in it you, and doing it from such a young age, you do have such an interesting perspective of not only what, you know, your role is and, and the nature of our job, but just having been in it for so long, how much our industry has changed, you know, the technical side of it and, you know, other aspects of it. It's weird to have been doing it for almost 30 years now and to have those memories of being on film sets in, in a completely different time. Yeah, and I, suppose, I mean, I suppose even, as you say, we, when things change, even to the case of, okay, we're going to change the role, which means basically changing the film. I remember when we were first filming, Fox back could take, he'd like literally call a break because it wouldn't be done so instantly. Whereas now it's just swap an SD card or swap a, a flash drive in or something like that. Yeah, you'll just be shooting and, and no one's even said it. It's like, oh, we'll just go, just go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I remember the one thing that still I kind of miss because it kind of felt like the sound of being in the reality of whatever project you were doing was hearing the whir of the film go through the mag box. Like if you were, especially on a close up or something, you could hear it as I'm sure you remember. And then when that went away, you know, in the 2000s, I guess, like it was kind of like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so cold, so cold. <laughs> How do we know if we're acting or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But was, I mean, cause was, as you said, there's been a load in between, but I just wanted to, um, talk about a couple of ones more recently stuff anyway sure. so like in terms of because obviously like the dynamic of different characters what you play um so it's like like so obviously there's like sex ed teachers um extremely wicked uh shocking evil and vile and then you then you go to more like the boys or entourage or silicon valley or even Zach Coleman, the uh, the guy who you played the voice for in mba like, oh yeah yeah really like horrible characters like really antagonistic, really just, you know, just um, you really want like love to hate those type of guys in, in, the, in the performances. Do you prefer to play that type of character? Because from knowing you, you're the complete opposite to that. But it is almost like, like I, 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 I text you after, I remember texting you after we watched, I think it may have been Entourage, going, I hated you in a good way. Because <laughs> it, was, it was exactly what it needed. But do you prefer to do, as I say, do you prefer to play the complete opposite to yourself or is it more a case of that's how that's how you're seen at the moment i uh 
I, I definitely think it can be some of the most fun to, to run in that opposite direction and to, because, you know, uh, uh, for the vast majority of your life, you're, you're trying to, you know, behave and to, you know, to, to be a, a good person in, in whatever way you can. So roles that are just like, all right, for this limited amount of time, you can completely forget all of the rules of human decency and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, just politeness and things like that. With Entourage specifically, the idea of that character was just to antagonize and belittle all of these beloved characters in personal ways, <laughs> just like to find, you know, sometimes not, there wasn't a whole lot of improvisation, but just like, you know, normally when you're interacting with someone, you're, you're looking to be, you know, to be a good listener and to, you know, to react in a nice way. And Entourage is just about like, I'm just going to like try and on this person as much as I can in the interaction that we have and that's a lot of fun when you're you know safe in the in the land of make-believe so uh yeah I mean there's definitely rewarding roles that are closer to my personality or aren't as flamboyantly evil as some of these characters but when you do get to just go as as far as you can in that in that uh direction it can be a lot of fun one of the the, the most recent thing I did with uh, what we do in the shadows um, it's, I, it's not too much of a spoiler, but I am killed and then reanimated as a zombie. And so with that one, where it's with the physical aspect and with the behavior of just going as, as far as you can in that direction, I mean, it's, it's a blast. So when you come to do all that kind of stuff, like what's your preparation for it? Because obviously everyone's got different ways of doing it, but you personally, are you from uh, as soon as you get there or as soon as you leave your trailer or just as soon as they yell action and then you turn into a a what's it shall we say yes i uh i would i would be very interested to to do a role where you you can uh behave in that way that you hear with you know some of the uh the, some of the more method uh performances that people have done when on set you're speaking in a certain accent that's not yours the whole time or, or all that stuff i am pretty practical with a lot of that stuff um because it just seems like a practical necessity sometimes you have to interact with so many people doing technical things with you on a lot of these movies where it's it often seems ridiculous to be like what don't call me Haley like when you know there's the vast majority of the day is not on camera it's doing lots of makeup and getting the wardrobe set and everything so it, it seems sometimes uh uh a hassle for the people around you to be doing something like that but I would like to to explore doing a film where those are the rules, and there and there are there. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite movies is uh, The Master with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and that set environment sounded like a very different um, world than than most of the film sets that you're on most of the time. But um, one thing that I do miss from uh, back in the day that that uh, seems to be happening less, or just you know, depending on the projects that you do. Uh, some of the films that I was on, we just had the luxury of weeks of rehearsal. And you would, you know, for the Sixth Sense, we got to Philadelphia like three weeks before we started shooting and just had time to meet one-on-one, you know, with the director and each pairing of the actors, depending on their relationship in the film. And that's one really effective way of prepping a movie. There's, um, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made for not rehearsing something too much. And there's sometimes where you do just want the combustibility of, trying a scene for the first time with somebody and seeing what will happen and surprising yourself. But I do miss those times where it's like, man, we just know these scenes. Like, you know, it's a, it's a play we've been doing for a long time. You can really go deep into, into those relationships. That's a, that's a fun way of working as well. Yeah. It's a bit like, I know I thought that when 
everyone done any kind of theatre, like you always think that you could do something for say six on like the sixth week, you'll find a new way to do the same scene, which works just as well, which obviously you're not going to rehearse a scene for a film for six weeks, but it would, uh, although who knows what that would turn out like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't know until you've done it. But yeah, the, the I've had a lot less experience in theater, but that is a, a terrific uh, challenge where it's like, yeah, you have to make this scene fresh eight times a week for months on end. And that's, uh, yeah, it opens up all kinds of new possibilities having to having to meet that challenge. Yeah. Which is which is always good in some way, but as long as everyone on on stage knows that that's going to happen, yeah. um, I did I did I did a play and there was a um, it was probably the what like fifth or sixth week and there was one scene and the one chap he was really good at it and as in good as just like throwing the odd line here and there, um, still on track, but you'd be like okay, keep you on your toes. Um, now we were in uh, we're in a little town called Malvern, which is where they actually make the Morgan car, which is I've, I've got one of these things. Oh, nice! So the play, so the, the play was set in the 1930s, and he was basically saying like the actual thing was that the I think it was the Bentley or something like that, the car out at the front was broken, like his car was broken. He was angry with the uh, the servant not getting it working, and he said, "Oh, it's not working. I should have got a Morgan," and just stood in front of me for about five seconds. But I'm trying, and I'm, I'm right at the front of the stage at this point, I'm trying everything in my power not to smile or anything like that, because I'm supposed to be this inquisitive policeman. And just trying everything in my power not to just crack up laughing. And then <laughs> also fighting the urge to come, try and think of something to come back with. It was just a, because uh, there, no, there was no line after that. But the, the, uh, the, you heard the audience erupt laughing, so I think I just took like a two-second two walk up, up stage let out a smile and then re- reset and then came back down. But it was cool doing it that way, though. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, just a little turn up stage to check the uh, policeman's book. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to some podcasts, um, I think it was Asif Manvi recently, where he was talking about uh, forgetting your lines when you're doing Shakespeare, because there's no bailing yourself out with improv. Like, there's very, it's really hard to kind of uh, find your way back to the text if you completely forget where you are. <laughs> just what those moments are like on stage, because no one's going to help you either and like improv their own stuff. It's just gonna be like, All right, when are you going to find this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I um I did this play uh Philadelphia a long time ago and uh, the stage manager told me the previous play that had been in our theater was uh, some sort of mystery where the the audience knew that the lead character's brother had murdered his wife early on and then the main character spends the whole play trying to figure this out so the second act begins with the the lead character coming out on stage doing the soliloquy going who killed you know who killed her and some guy in the audience just forgot where he was and goes it was your brother and the guy goes, I don't believe you. And then went <laughs> So have you got have you got any more plans to go into theatre then after well when we're allowed to, but I suppose that unfortunately may be one of the last in in terms of entertainment, the last type of things like live music and like live events as it were. You never know, maybe the last thing to to kick back on, maybe. So maybe it will be T V and film for a while. It definitely, it definitely feels like that. Just imagining, you know, people feeling safe and the the number of tests required to constantly check everyone being in such close contact. Because um, with film and television, there's a big article on Deadline last week just saying how 
there, you know, changes we already know will happen for the foreseeable future when we come back, where it's like departments will all have to use their own tools. There'll be no sharing of tools and departments. Uh, hair and makeup and actors will be tested every day, probably multiple times per day. And it just requires a, you know amount of resources that we just don't have in this country right now. And doesn't seem like we're doing a fast enough job trying to get that. But with theater, yeah, you need even more and, and live music in a club or something. It really makes you wonder when the next time uh, will be when you're back in there. And I can imagine it will be a very good feeling finally getting back into a place with live performance. But yeah, before this happened, I, I was always looking for the opportunity to do it. It's a tough thing because the commitment can be so long. And, um, you know, yeah, you just have to basically say like, yeah, I'm doing this run for six to eight months or something. And that can be taken away from if you're if you're on a series or something like that. But I love doing it the times that I have done it. And uh, would love to return once uh, once that industry is, is back on its feet. Going back to theories and all that, but during this whole lockdown thing, have you learned any more skills or anything like that, or taken a new hobby up? I have forgiven myself for not even being able to watch like movies I haven't already seen yet. Like the first two months have been a pretty heavy lean on like reading stuff I've already read, watching shows I've already watched. Like, it's been very comfort food so far. But I can feel myself moving into the next period of this. Uh, but the first month was very much like, wow, it's just exhausting to get through the day. I've really got to strengthen up my mind to want to take on new information, even though I know it will feel good once I do. Um, I, and also, it's, it's strange because there's going to be a point uh, later this year, probably, where streaming and network will run out of new things to show us. Like, those are just going to stop being movies in the pop, the pipeline to to watch at some point. And then we're all just all going to be watching things that have already been, been released. And that will be very strange when that happens. I watched yeah. the finale to Better Call Saul uh, last week, and it's like, oh, man. And then immediately it's like, damn, is it going to be two or three years before the show comes back? Like, it's, who knows? <laughs> I mean, it would, be, it would be amazing if like certain networks or channels or whatever just started rerunning from start. So like you've got like a load of like Marx Brothers films that are back on. You've got, um, I don't know, just like you could have some real, I know, I suppose you could say Turner Classics already do that. But, but in terms of like, um, you know, in terms of like actually having different um, genres open to more people. So, so, so as opposed to people aren't just looking at films from the last 10, 15 years or so. But many many years gone by because some of like some really good stuff still is it may not be relevant but it's still very funny and still very appealing to watch i think that'd be a great idea that's a great opportunity to to reintroduce people into to things they may not have caught before yeah i have seen online there's certain certain channels like they've been running like not uh turn like the going back to the Marx Brothers things like that but then running a lot of fan favorites you know from the last 20 years on you know prime time on Sunday because you know it's the first time since the streaming era began that everybody's home at the same time in the evenings so things that are broadcast at a certain time have a certain meaning that they haven't had in a while so that that is an opportunity to kind of if there's really smart programmers at some of these channels to really sort of put that on. Uh, the other the other day I ran I saw a film which I haven't seen since I think my 10th birthday which was a film called Fly Away Home oh yeah about the, bird, uh, yeah, the, the plane that she had yeah yeah, yeah. 
And I, it's one of those where I've only seen it once at the cinema. I, I remember enjoying it. And you know, I saw it was on TV, so I started watching it. And I thought, oh, please, God, be as good as I remember and don't be one of those, those kind of things. It was actually really, really good. So if you get a chance to watch it again, I would thoroughly recommend it. I'll put it on the list right now. That's great. And also, I'm, I'm still intrigued how they, this is going on 25 years ago, how they did the geese flying and everything without obviously the, the whole VR thing that there is today, which I'm sure is how it would be done now. But it doesn't look like that was used at all. Damn. They used like, real, real geese? I don't know. I mean, it looked like it. Is it based on a true story, right? I think it's based around a true story, yeah. yeah. Well, geese, well, geese always fly one way in the winter, so you could just like set a camera up and wait for them. <laughs> well, they don't just fly left, do they? No, but they go south. <laughs> if, there's, if there's a building coming in, I'm sure they'll get out of the way. <laughs> wide lens. Yeah. Very yeah. Wide. I, think, I think I definitely wouldn't be a good producer, that's for sure, with that type of uh, method. Like, ah, oh, we'll just wait until <laughs> September and just, you know, aim, aim, aim left, yeah. aim, aim south. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended up actually going back about films what you watched from years ago and I don't, you don't know how it worked out how they filmed it or something like that I, watching it I realised how they filmed it but do you remember Batteries Not Included yes yeah so it's about like the, for those of you who don't know what, it's, what we're on about it's basically set in this upper New York side um, it's the Upper East Side or something like that and it's like a really old fashioned um, cafe and these little aliens tiny aliens come to live into it and it's like these developers who want to come in and it's uh, still quite powerful stuff. Yeah, I'd recommend that for anyone in, on a rainy day in quarantine anyway. That's probably the best thing to, would that's be my, my go-to today. I think uh, I had that one on VHS, yeah. What have you <laughs> realised they did? Did I realise what? You said you realised how they did it now. You mean there yeah. weren't real little aliens coming down? <laughs> well, no, well, no, well, no, they were. They were. That's why the CIA have just had to release all those footage because they've... Um, They've said that that's what it was. Yeah, that stuff's been pretty crazy. Like, and and like crazy, but people are like, "Well, nothing I can do about it." Like, <laughs> 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 I guess there's UFOs. <laughs> yeah, let's face it; it's not going to make this 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 year any more weird, is it? So, hey, so in terms of like your your traveling for work, then Haley, where would be your favorite location you've traveled to? I have not had a very exotic record of traveling to places. My my sister's an actor too, and her very first movie outside of LA was like a summer in Puerto Rico on the beach. And I was like, well, I've been to Dallas and Charlotte and Poland. And like I've been, I've been you know, all, you know, I, I can, uh, I'm a very good uh, tourist in all the places I go to. One of the, my most, uh, aggressive uh tourist campaigns was when we shot extremely wicked uh shockingly evil and vile in uh covington kentucky which is across the the river from cincinnati and i just you know i had a lot of free time on that one because of the, the nature of the shoot so i saw the museum and i saw the baby hippo in the zoo and i saw you know, like all this different stuff and i was like i'm doing a very good job of seeing cincinnati top to bottom while i'm here so that that tends to be uh, what i do but uh, re more recently, I did finally get to go to a place that truly felt like I may not have uh, gone there um, had it not been for this project. Uh, we shot this pilot um, for an Amazon series called Oasis in uh, Cape Town in South Africa and in the desert in Namibia. And the pilot turned out great. It was one of those things where, for various reasons, it didn't go forward. But Richard Madden was the lead. 
we had a terrific uh, uh, cast and a, and a pretty cool story and got to shoot for like two months uh, just for the pilot episode. Amazon was really, uh, it felt like Jeff Bezos' space um, uh, obsession really went into the production value of what we were doing out there. Um, but yeah, that was, that felt like a really, uh, that was a really cool experience. I just love being in a place where you're like, I am very far away from home right now. The, the you can feel the distance in being in such a different part of the world. Yeah. How does it, how does it work then? Saying doing a, um, doing a pilot for Amazon, as opposed to say, doing a pilot for a network. What is the, is it pretty much the same philosophy like you just see? It's, it's, it's all over the place now. There, there'll be different ways of getting there. For, you know, for a, a network show, there's usually a lot more steps in the audition process. You know, you'll test and, you know, there may be multiple rounds of testing for uh, producers and for network and things like that. But with Amazon, I think it's really dependent on the show. I went and auditioned for this one and then straight away they worked out uh, our deal um, going, I forget, but it was like, you know, it really seemed like they intended to make the show and then some things beyond people's control, uh, interfered with it. But the big issue that faces, uh, all actors today. And, uh, I think that SAG may be wrestling with in the future, the way that the W in the near future, the way that the WGA has been wrestling with these things is the fact that there's no residuals for digital stuff. So with the network, you know, with network series, you'll have that sort of, uh, coming in on the back end with Amazon, you sign a, a contract up front and for however many years the show goes on, nothing is going to change about that. And they do have a certain power over what you can do outside of it that um, wasn't the case for network shows for a while. So hmm. that's part of it. But the, the, my code into that story is always, I feel like we did a great service to the world because we allowed by the show, not going forward, we allowed Richard Madden to be available to do bodyguard, which I think everybody liked. So that was our little, yeah. That was a little service to the world that he wasn't in South Africa. He could be the, uh, <laughs> the amazing secret service agent on that show. <laughs> yeah, it'd be clear. and I suppose, I suppose as well that, as you say, with the um, the residual side of it as well, I suppose that goes down to the old attitude. There's always someone else who will jump in and do yeah. it. Yeah, you know, digital they're actors. I'm sure they're trying as hard as they can to uh, <laughs> to do that. Oh, one thing, one weird thing that happened on on the set of that Amazon series that was particular about being on an, an Amazon show, there was, it was a futuristic space travel show. So there was like drones that were props in the reality of the show. And I, in one big spaceship area, there was extras working like futuristic machines. And I was hanging out to the, next to this one guy and he's like, hey, you want me to make you something? I was like, well, that's a prop, isn't it? He's like, no, no, they work. And he, it was like a 3D printer that he was really operating during it. And he like made me a little functional toy elephant, like right there. And I was like, wait, all of our props are real in this, in this show? Like, are we the test run for Amazon's like space station that they're going to send up? And was that in the contract? Am I going to have to go to Mars when, when this is over? <laughs> Maybe that's what they're saving it for, the in-flight entertainment. It could be. Yeah, you can, you can only watch Amazon-branded shows on the Amazon Rocket to Mars. I think that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but just touching on what you just said before there, mate, um, with auditions and everything, I'm always fascinated by everyone's different preparations for it. What's your preparation for an audition? It's, it's a weird part of what we do, and so much of it is guessing what is wanted in the room because there you know there's 
casting director, the director might be there, there's producers, if it's TV, there might be a network. And oftentimes these different parties will have, will want different things from the performance. And, you know, if there's multiple rounds of the audition, you can get conflicting notes from different, uh, you know, parties who are involved in, in casting the show. So, so much of it is a guessing game of trying to calibrate your performance to satisfy what they want in a way that's very different than how you would do it on the set when you're trying to create an, you know, an organic, uh, good performance. And then you still have to try and, you know, make a performance as organic and believable as you can in that audition room, which always, isn't always the, the most fun uh, environment for it. I, I was listening to, uh, I think Tim Roth was on uh, NPR the other day, and he was saying that when he came to the United States, he just refused to audition. He's like, I, he, I, he disliked the process so much. He's just like, I've been in some movies. If you like them, you can cast me, but I'm not going to audition for them. And I think he said he refused to audition for Tarantino for Reservoir Dogs because that was just his, his way. Um, so that's how, how uncomfortable a process it can be. Um, but I don't know. I think it ultimately going, jumping through all those hoops can be good training and can make you quick on your feet in certain ways and one thing that I, I think that I'm, I'm good at and that has helped me in the past is learning how to come in with something and if it's and if they you know if you do it multiple times in the room and they give you notes being able to adapt really quickly to those notes and being to completely turn the performance being able to completely turn into a different direction on a dime like that I think that's that can be pretty valuable in the room mm-hmm. yeah yeah it is always a bit of a thing with um I suppose like any job audition, you've, you've got to, I suppose acting is unique because unlike like a normal job audition, for example, where you go in and sit down and you go through a resume um, with like an audition, as you say, you're, you're, you're directed, you're asked to change. If it's further down the line, anyway, the director's in front of you, you can say, okay, maybe try this, maybe try that. Um, I mean, I remember James and I, we did an audition last year for a job and we, we did it very comedic style. Um, very, not over the top, but it was slightly more exaggerated than you would do in normal normal life. And they're all everyone in there is laughing about it. They say, "Oh, very funny, very funny." And at the very last second, as we're leaving, I said, "So, um, so, so is it is it a comedy or is it like a comedy drama?" Well, we thought it was a comedy because the director is a well-known comedic. Well, a lot of his stuff has been comedy-based, or at least has always been some form of. Hence, why we did that. Sorry. Back to your story. No, 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 go on, go on. You, you want to take over? Go on. <laughs> so as we're leaving, we said, so, you know, what, like Oliver says, what, is it a comedy? Is it a comedy drama? That, uh, oh, no, it's a, it's a horror film. It's a thriller. It could be comedy uh, in horror films. <laughs> yeah, so we were like, okay, well, thanks then. And so we left, didn't hear anything for about, what, six weeks? And then we had a phone call saying... Uh, two two days time. Can you come down and do it again for the director? <laughs> but but is it funny or not? Like this? <laughs> do you want it? Do you want it the same, or is it? Or is it just how you how exactly we did it before? So we ended up just doing it the exact same way because we thought well they've probably gone on that. And as you say, then you can always go on the basis of maybe not be so yes. Try and get a smile. Try and do it a bit more the other way. But it was uh, we'll see if it makes the edit of the film anyway. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> You know, obviously, like going on the base, um, on the side of like on the acting side of it as well. So I remember when we were going to be, we went to the opening day at Dodgers Stadium, and uh, I remember we were, we were lining up to go in, and this guy next to me just started, or next to you just started like, um, he, was, he was complimenting you on one of the films. 
may have been Entourage. It was about four years ago or so. That's right. Yeah, that's about recently come out. Um, and he was, and he was just complimenting you on on it. But it just it just makes me laugh, especially in LA, where you can just get that drama. Yeah, really good job there. And that's it. There was no. Um, it just it just it just made me laugh how there was no this like you know. I suppose maybe at a baseball game, it's more the locals go to it anyway. Yeah, there's this whole like yeah. Tell me about the process to it. Tell me about the <laughs> how you how you got into the the mindset of that character and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that part of, uh, part of that may also be because I have firmly established myself as sitting at Dodger Stadium whenever is humanly possible. That has been a very difficult thing uh, to have lost during this time because. And you I go would, you go to spring training as well, right? Like the preseason. Yeah, well, that was the last thing that I did out in public, like the first couple days of March. And it like, it, it still had like the shutdowns and everything were still far away in the horizon that hadn't been mentioned, or at least we hadn't been aware of it. So we get to Arizona, we're going to these baseball games. And then like the last day we're there, it starts to become serious. And we're like, Oh my God. Like that was luckily the last day I was on a plane or something, but it this kind of happened while we were out there. And then now that, you know, it's been more, you know, almost two months, we're like, we've lucked out that there wasn't any kind of cluster there because it was, it was a baseball, you know, a smaller stadium, but, you know, baseball stadiums out in, out in public. And that was the last time I was around uh, other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, uh, I, you know, I suppose what I was trying to get to is that, like, obviously, what, what would you say is your main interest in outside of acting? Baseball. I've been pretty big in, into sports. Baseball is definitely a uh, uh, a big part of day to day life. You know, in large part because the season is so long, and uh, I've, I live really close to Dodger Stadium, and it's been a, a big part of of growing up and uh, a great way to stay in touch with friends going back to to high school and middle school. So uh, yeah, that's that's another strange thing that is that is gone now is that like when you're catching up with people there's usually sports or current events to talk about. And now it's all been reduced down to this one topic. Nothing, nothing else is happening in the world to talk about. Maybe instead of reruns of classic movies, they should just rerun classic news all the time. Like, so we could pretend like there was news stories being generated to, to talk about. You heard about this Paris Hilton lady? Oh, what is she? <laughs> no, I think I'm pretty sure we could edit the news quite well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no actually we did a uh, I did a thing on um, Friday night so every Friday night there's a load there's probably about um, eight couples and we uh, we're all uh, old school old old school friends and we do a thing where it's a quiz but whoever wins the week before has to write and make the quiz for the following week so it's all on all on zoom and with this um, it was my wife and I's turn to do it this week because we we won it the, the week before which is good um, Congratulations. Two winners on the screen. I'll tell you, it was, it was, a, it was a proud day. It was a proud day. So we ended up doing it like a, uh, a geography or world-based type thing. and um, But we made it, everyone had to come in in a, or the national dress of a country. <laughs> so it was, quite, it was quite funny how certain people see one thing as a national dress of a country. And then other things like, so I just literally went up in the, in my loft, in my attic and dug out my lederhosen, which I haven't worn for about seven and a half years when I went to the Oktoberfest. <laughs> Luckily it still fits and found a hat to put on with it as well. And, um, and there was one guy on there who, he's quite an educated guy, just went, 
What are you wearing? You got you got like suspenders on or something. <laughs> what? So I think if anything, I'd say I don't know if it's the same in the US, but certainly in the UK, the pub quiz has come back with a a real vengeance. Like there's people doing my knowledge of random stuff has just grown and grown and grown. That's a good idea. That sounds like a good system. The only game <clears throat> that I played so far was a we did we tried mafia one time and i was unfamiliar with the game so it it, it was a learning experience but it, i was surprised that a game that relies so much on analyzing people's cues from body language and things like that still sort of managed to translate through the screen <laughs> the suspicions you develop about certain people being being mafia in that game only through this little yeah a quiz seems much better suited for this system Actually, speaking of random facts, did you know a single strand of spaghetti is called a spaghetto? What? I didn't. There you go. I've been eating spaghettios forever over here. So. <laughs> a spaghetto. Yeah, I, I, if I pronounce that wrong, and I'm sure the uh, people of Italy will butcher me for it, but where did you get that from? Uh, a source of all random facts which i've been looking at to pass my day i've been trying to learn a random fact every day so that was the fact to know. write it like a snapple thing on each individual strand of spaghetti <laughs> there's facts on those things if you look really closely and is that why a spaghettio is not spaghettios are technically they're only one individual ones aren't they because yeah, they're curled over on itself many times yeah. Yeah, I could make spaghetti and then form them into spaghettios and multi-step <laughs> process. <laughs> oh, the things you can learn. Did you see, James, that we were on a Cold War Steve mural? Yes, I did. That was rather... Yeah, so have you, have, you, have you heard from the artist Cold War Steve? Yeah, I think, it's, I think I've seen it on, on Instagram, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, he's on Instagram and Twitter. So basically he started um, many, I think about a year or two ago now, and he basically just started... Um, on his phone, I want to say originally, just getting random pictures of different people and putting them in certain situations, politically influenced, as it were. But he, he's done one because he's from our, our neck of the woods and he's done one of our city. But he's obviously done it. You can Looking at it, you can tell that it's a Brummy who's done it. And he's put like all these different well-known faces from the city there. And we're, I, was, I was so happy to see we, were, we made the cut. That we, were, right. <laughs> that we were in there sharing space with the likes of... Um, like Black Sabbath and people like that. Like some really Robert cool Plant, I would think. Is he on there? Um, I think he is actually somewhere. Really exciting times this week for me. That was anyway. Nice. Did he put that on his account? I think you, I gotta find that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. And it's, it's quite funny the amount of people who've been commenting on it going, oh, it's like a Where's Wally, but I found you, I found you. There's, um, <laughs> <clears throat> there's so many random people in it and there's some good photos of people and some not so good photos, which makes it even better. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the uh, that's always the risk when you get your likeness put up on things that it's it may not be how we see ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're happy with you're happy with your depiction. Yeah, it'll do. I think it's from one of the premieres actually. So at least I'm wearing a suit. Have you seen the? Um... Oh, I found it. Yeah, this one, that's right? The one, yeah, 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 that's one, yeah. That's so cool. That's great. So, have you also been watching the NFL draft this year? Yes, more closely than ever before. Yeah, <laughs> so weird. It was it was it was very weird. There were some weird decisions made and and yeah, the, I don't know if he'd done it before but like Goodell 
sort of in doing and all that. Just really, really strange. Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy watching seeing the different owners and managers and all their houses. And then uh, Jerry Jones is just on his super yacht. <laughs> you immediately, and then you're like, hang on, that room is shaped a lot like the inside of a <laughs> I was disappointed that he was around other people, though, because the gossip before the draft was that he had told the scouting department he was going to do it himself, don't contact him. It was going to be solo Jerry Jones, like, doing the draft. And then when I saw somebody hand him something, I was like, no, I just want him alone, like, on the yacht, making crazy decisions. It'll be, it'll be even better, though, is like one of the owners was there doing that and there was no one around. And while he's, he's speaking on the, on the line, the phone keeps ringing. And like the guy just picks the phone and says, I told you I'm going to do it and puts the phone down. And go, oh, you know, we select and then just for giggles, I think that would be the best. Even if you're a franchise that's not doing terribly well, you could, um, you could definitely get a lot of media bait with that. Yeah. Owner's pick. Owner's pick. First round, second round should be owner's pick. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how crazy, no matter how <laughs> they get to decide. I think that's what they should do. It's amazing actually watching all these um, ex when like news news people are using like experts to fill time where normally they would be in a studio and there'd be like a, a green screen behind them or somewhere like that. The amount of random books that people have got, or even worse, like there's some guy who's this mad. Um, like I say, man, he's a very, very well-educated guy who's been, um, who's been, like, you know, interviewed loads of times. Yeah, he's got the tiniest office going. You know, he's like giving like this advice, and he's like in a little cubby hole. Well, I think they should do. I saw the one where the guy put a a green screen behind him of his normal room, but it was a video of him walking in on himself, like he had recorded himself coming in the door and then coming back out while he was talking on there. Right. So what's your what's your plans then for um, the foreseeable? Or are you just are you, are you are you in on your own at the moment? I am uh, fortunately able. There's two voiceover shows uh, that I was supposed to do throughout the rest of the year, and we have uh, collaborated with their brilliant engineers to set up home recording uh, with some microphones, and so I should be able to work on that uh, throughout the rest of the year. We actually had an audio test yesterday that went well, so. Uh, that's going to be crazy. And uh, for what we do in the shadows, um, we actually had to do our ADR sessions from home like that too. I hadn't set up my, I've, I've got like a blanket cube that I set up uh, in a room for recording. I didn't have it at that point. So I was just in a closet with the microphone, like trying to make it sound good and it made it into the show. So I guess, I guess it worked. All right. Well, um, I'm, so I'm going to be uh, asking three, no, four questions, which I'm going to try and ask anybody that, we get the privilege to ramble with for an hour. Um, so, uh, four things. One, what is your favorite song? Everything in its right place by Radiohead. Ooh. Nice. Well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> your favorite, this is uh, this could be one or the other, uh, favorite film or favorite TV show? Uh, man, I say, I guess favorite TV show, not just to pander to people in the UK, uh, is Peep Show. Excellent. Your part, uh, two for two, well done. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I know you'll be good at this one because I, I know when we play golf, there's a lot of these go around, but what is your favourite quote from a TV or a film? 
Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. no, no. <laughs> oh yeah, I can, I, damn, I've been prompted. I can't claim it as my own, but yeah. yeah ben, no, I mean, I'm only saying that it's from the film Sexy Beast because when we were on the, um, I can't remember, we're on, we're on one of the courses and we just kept doing it to the, the cartel because she was not quite understanding we don't want anything to have. <laughs> it's the worst when you throw those out there and people haven't seen the movie. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I've actually, this is my old, uh, one that I've loved for a long time, but I love... Um, uh, Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is a war room from Dr. Strangelove. I like that one. Very good. And finally, what is your favorite food? I'll have to go with barbecue. The wonderful world of barbecue. Uh, I'm, I'm not a purist for any state. I love Kansas City, love Texas, love the Carolinas, Love, uh, love Tennessee. It's all of its many incarnations, but I like, I like throwing it on the grill, marinating it, all the, all the barbecue stuff. That is my world. <laughs> no, wicked. I actually, um, I bought, you know, like the marinating, when you talk about the marinating process, so obviously you're supposed to leave it overnight, aren't you? And let it really soak in. So I bought a, um, a couple of years ago now, this is, have you seen like the vacuum food machine? So it basically keeps. Oh yeah. Like sous vide and all that stuff. It kind of like, yeah, so once you finish, say you like have one chicken breast and you've got two left in a pack, you can put it in a bag and it'll vacuum it oh. tight so there's no air in it. So it'll, the theory is it'll last longer. Anyway, it comes with a tub and a hose where you connect, you put the hose on the tub. And the idea is that you put meat into this container and you, which is almost like a Tupperware thing, and you put marinade on it and leave it for about five to 10 minutes. And apparently that, oxidizes it or something like that or takes the oxygen out which is supposed to get the marinade into it um which actually works in terms of like if you're looking to speed it up except i don't know what happened but i was sitting <laughs> down in the front room and i just heard an almighty bang and this thing is literally exploded <laughs> on itself this type of it just like created such a vacuum in there but the steak had literally like flipped up and landed on top of the lid everything else so it was like perspex or whatever is shattered everywhere around the room but there was this great bit of steak which looked fairly lacking of um debris which actually tasted quite good so if you're looking for a quick fix i think that's one you could always try i will look that up that, is, that it's created like a, a neutron star of, of steak it's like that collapsed in on itself. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you nearly you nearly sold it really well until you you said how it basically forms a bomb well, I'm sure I did some. I'm sure I did something wrong, but now I have. I mean, I have got a spare one of these Tupperware things, and I was very easy to do it. But I, I leave the room now when it's marinating because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be in that one. with the welding goggles around the corner. <laughs> yeah, there's a similar. Always... <laughs> no, we don't want food bombs in our living spaces. <laughs> no, no, no. That's it. I have been. I've been randomly trying to cook different things every week. And then, but I, but I also did marshmallows the other day over the weekend oh. and I've never made it from scratch before but I've never realized that it's pretty much just glucose loads and loads of sugar and three egg whites if you got, if you got, if you, if you got those things and then, you, then you've got a really good uh, marshmallow I was just waiting for you to shout out to and then marshmallow land where's, marshmallow? <laughs> where's that I don't know I'm, hang on this is going to be my new did you know <laughs> Marshmallow Land is also known as. 
Did you know marshmallow comes from a mallow plant? <laughs> what? A mallow plant? I just, I literally, so I went to all things of knowledge and said, where do marshmallows come from? Apparently marshmallows, the ancient Egyptians used the mallow root. Rubbish, rubbish. There is no way, there is no, no way. The Tutankhamun. I reckon if you if you search through Tutankhamun's uh, artifacts, I reckon somewhere there is like uh, two crackers, uh, some Hershey chocolate <laughs> on a stick. Hershey chocolate. No, marshmallow. <laughs> and so if you pass the way around Easter, there'd be marshmallow peeps, just all the little, the little, exactly, uh, yeah. little peeps. <laughs> On the edge of the tomb. <laughs> the hieroglyphic for marshmallow is actually a um, yeah. So there's like over a fire. There's like a slave standing over with a fire pit with a load of like sticks with marshmallows on it. Where are these mallow roots? Are they only in Egypt? Because they sound like a mallow anyway. And if we could, can you buy a mallow? As you can tell, Haley, it's a really informative show where we uh, we cover the way. In, uh, I've learned a lot today. <laughs> Spaghettos, mallows, it's all it's all coming in on a theme. You can buy various forms of marshmallow root. I think I'm actually looking up there is actually oh, so there is actually something called a marshmallow. Wow. I don't know. I've, 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 I've Googled marshmallow history and I've just come into some guy called Chris Cornstock. So never mind. I'll uh, I'll leave that on. That's amazing. You search where do marshmallow and then where do marshmallows go to school? <laughs> I'm going to fall. I'm falling down the dark, the uh, the, the winding <laughs> passages of the internet here. I'll text you when I find out what it is. <laughs> this is the cliffhanger. This is the cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah. 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 Have you have you been, have you been trying anything at all, Haley? Any any cooking or anything like that? It, I uh, I haven't been as ambitious as I'd like to be because the first stage here there was a big rush into like stock the pantry with like canned food and stuff like that and now it's you know it doesn't look like the supply chain is going to be interrupted too much and i haven't braved the fresh produce section just avoiding going to stores at all for a while but now i'm at the point where i'm like i need to i need to get out there and get some fresh ingredients and i uh, i'm finally setting up a grill in the backyard and uh, then i'll be able to, to to inject inject the steak with the vacuum and and see what happens just leave it outside for a couple of hours and then, or no, even a couple of hours, a couple of minutes, and then just wait for the explosion. Like, right, yep. he's ready. <laughs> just, yeah, wait, wait till you hear the sound. Yeah. And I, I did, was doing some releases because I had some like old frozen food in the back of the fridge where you're like, well, it's frozen. Like, can you still eat it? And the verdict seems to be like, you can, but you won't want to. It's safe, but after enough time, it just starts to, you know, freezer burn is a real thing no matter what you do. I tried one and they were right. <laughs> so when you were filming like extremely wicked, shocking, evil and vile, when you said you had like a bit of time on that because of the, obviously the, the way they shot it, was that, was that quite a, an eye-opening experience or were you quite aware of the whole Ted Bundy thing beforehand and just learning all the background of it? Yeah, I I don't even remember where, you know, with stuff like that, it probably just was some random wikipedia rabbit hole that i had gone down where i was like pretty pretty familiar with the uh with most of the the outlines of the case 
but since the director of that movie, uh, Joe Berlinger, um, had also, it, it wasn't even by design, but he had um, been hired to do the documentary that Netflix had that came out about the same time. The, do, doing press for that movie early last year and going to Sundance and then watching that documentary and all that stuff, like we all became very well acquainted with all the details of the case. And yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I, I did not know that his trial in Florida was the first uh, televised trial in the United States. So it had, that was one of the things that, you know, apart from the terrible scale of, of his murders, that was one of the things that made it really big in the popular imagination. So yeah, that was, that was a crazy experience to, to be a part of. And um, uh, Lily Collins and, and Joe, the director, they actually met with, uh, um, with uh, Bundy's uh, first wife, uh, where she was living, not in hiding, but she's living kind of anonymously somewhere. And they're actually able to speak to her and look at some of their letters and photos and things like that. So yeah, it was wild. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Do you, I suppose doing stuff like, is it when it's certainly got a, a historical and truth base to it, do you find that there's more pressure on, on performance or is it just a case of you adapt and this is what your version of it is? I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've done a role that was a based on a real life person uh, of which there was, yeah, I don't think I've ever, I've ever done a, a I hope I'm not forgetting anything notable, um, but I don't think I've ever done one based on it. Somebody listening going, he did me, he did me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how dare you forget? Um, and I will say this, I don't know what you guys' experience is like with this, but I feel like I can learn dialogue really quickly, but I forget it immediately as soon as we're done with something. Like, I have a really hard time remembering plays or anything that I've done. Like, And it's, it seems weird because... I remember the process of learning it and I can, I think I can learn it pretty quickly, but I guess to create space for it, it's just out the window when we're done and I, I can't recall it. Um, but I think with historical stuff, like I have done um, films, uh, period films and things like that. And I do think now it's like, there should be a responsibility to try and do it as, as realistically as you can, just because those historians are out there. Like it's possible to, to, to do a good job with it. It doesn't have to be prohibitively uh, expensive or anything like that. And I really love films that take place in a, in a time period that my, my big uh, gripe with a lot of historical films, even ones that I mostly like is that everyone is too clean and put together most of the time. Like for all the reading I've done of history, it seems like life was pretty uncomfortable and disgusting for most of human history. So when people are around in the 1200s or in ancient times and they look a little freshly 21st century scrubbed, uh, that always kind of sticks out to me. And a counterexample to that, a film that that, that goes in the other direction really well, um, you know that movie The Witch from a couple of years ago? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The horror yeah. film, yeah, where they're in like the wilds of North America in like the 1600s. I love how that film really gave the impression of how horrible life was for, for people trying to, to make a new life in, in uh, those areas. So, yeah. Yeah. So I remember when we did a, um, we did a, a show which was set in the 1970s in, in the UK. And it was, I remember chatting with the, the director about it. And I said, yeah, it's really cool how they found this like a working man's club, what we were filming in, which probably, all in all, hasn't really changed a great deal. Like obviously, apart from hiding the projector, what they got up there in the sound system, the basic shell of it is probably the same. But she was saying, yeah, I mean, the main thing like we like to try and do and certainly make, make the most of 
is so we're not filming anywhere what's got double glazing in the back of the houses you know like you can put a or like you know tarmac roads where they've dug a cable on the flooring and stuff like that like if we can try and get that out of camera shot we're doing a good job so and ever since said, every time i watch a show what's based like in the many years ago I'm like why is there a telephone box which has got like a uh, <laughs> yeah which isn't would that really be there i don't know it's um yeah even in a show that I love, like some of the roads <clears throat> in Game of Thrones, you're like, is that like a highway? Like that's a really nicely <laughs> cut road through through the forest. They're in the woods, but I think I can also see like a BMW like like driving <laughs> along in a, in a car commercial in some of those areas. <laughs> it's hard to. I guess that's not a historical fiction. That's fantasy. So they can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> Wasn't it? Is it Troy, the film Troy, when there's an aeroplane flying over? Oh, really? Something like that. They're they're like looking up and they're like this jet 747's going past. But I guess that's how they got around those days. I don't know. Maybe it's part of the Westworld universe and they're not actually in historical Troy. (laughs) It's modern day. Uh, I remember, I think Braveheart is one that particularly drives historians insane. I was just about to say, have you, ever, have you ever watched that with a historian? I've read some very oh, fun point-by-point uh, point, uh, uh, articles about it. I'm, <clears throat> one memorable thing was somebody said, the way they're wearing kilts in the supposed time period that the movie takes place in would be as if you made a movie about the 1990s and businessmen were wearing their suits wrapped around their heads. Like, that's how <laughs> wrong it looks to me. <laughs> There's a bit, I think it's like the, the Battle of Stirling Bridge, and it's like, where's the bridge? There's no bridge in this film. <laughs> oh my God, there's no bridge. <laughs> Imagine going to see that film in the theatres and being sat next to someone like that and just being listening to... Uh, and then gradually it just gets more and more annoyed Like the popcorn starts to get sprayed by the end of it. Uh, no, I, I would have liked that because then I would have been... What do you think about that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that could be one DVD commentary on those movies. You can get the director and the actors, or you could get a historian who's like, this is bull. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, mate, thank you so much for joining us this week. Really enjoyed it. Glad that you're staying sane during this crazy time. It was really nice talking to you guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And uh, I hope it's not too long until we see each other again. You know, we got, we got plenty of stuff to do out in the world. Yeah, well, we were. Uh, I know that Steve, our uh, four ball, is also equally looking forward to uh, rekilling the Anglo American classic, wherever that may be next. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to hook up again sometime soon, but hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, you'll keep doing all the good work and avoid any exploding cutlery. When, uh, I will when do my cooking. best. Yeah. I've learned a lot of safety tips from uh, putting food items under pressure in this chat, so I'll, I'll take them to our. <laughs> if you learn nothing else that's the main thing yeah and spaghetto i can't forget spaghetto, spaghetto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so well, thanks right. a lot, mate, and uh, we'll speak soon definitely take care hope you guys are well thanks Bye. well that was good fun wasn't it so a huge huge thank you to Haley Joesman for joining us today on the second episode of season two of the double trouble podcast yeah, thanks very much, Haley. Really good fun. Always speaking to him is such a great time. And as you can probably tell, he may play some pretty nasty people on screen, but he's actually one of the nicest folks you could ever wish to meet. I'm really excited about next week, actually. 
our guest joining us is a big friend of ours. We know you're going to have such a great time listening too. But until then, thank you very much again for listening. Really appreciated. Please send us our comments to us on Twitter and we will see you next week. Exactly. Maybe even if there's a question or two that anyone would like to put to us for next week's episode, we are always, always open. But as you say, we will reveal just before we launch next week's episode who it is so you guys can get a bit more excited. But hit that subscribe button wherever you are, be it on YouTube, be it on Spotify, be it on iTunes, be it wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss out. James is just gone because his battery has just died on his laptop. But anyway, I will see you soon. Bye-bye.